All right, Victory Midtown, 11 a.m. service. If y'all are excited about being at church, can you just make a little bit of noise for me? Come on, as a matter of fact, make a lot of noise for me. Make a lot of noise, make a lot of noise. I don't know if it's the sip of the five hour that I took before service or if it's just the spirit of the Lord, but I'm hyped today. I'm hyped today. Listen, I, I just want y'all to know I'm so excited about being at church with you today. And I'm excited about having this opportunity to minister for the first time of the year. I've missed uh, preaching to you for the last couple of weeks, but I'm ready to rock today. Are y'all ready? Y'all ready? Even during the worship set, you know, I was sitting over there while my wife was giving that worship spoken word. I didn't know whether to snap my fingers or to lift my hands or to bow down. You know, God is good. Can y'all put y'all hands together for God and for him using her during that time? Well, listen, man, like I said, I'm, I'm super excited today. And I believe we're right in the midst of something incredible. Uh, how many of you, by a show of hands, you attended, you were a part of, even if it was at home, you did something where you connected to the seven days of fasting and prayer? Amen. A lot of hands in the room. A lot of hands in the room. Well, we had an incredible time uh, where our campus here at Midtown, we joined our Norcross campus all week on site there. And there were literally thousands of people who showed up every single night to worship God, to get the word for the year, to really understand what he wants to do in and through us. And we culminated that on this past Friday at Thirst. How many people were at Thirst out of here? That's what I'm talking about. Thirst is a worship and prayer night that we had here, and that was absolutely incredible. And we're so glad to be able to culminate that portion, but we're still going to continue to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So today, as I jump into this message, I want to kind of bring us into something. And I want to let you know that I need you to just take a ride with me today. Because as we've been talking about this, even as Pastor Dennis talked on last week, he gave us an incredible message starting us off talking about the foundation of the word. The foundation of the Bible and how we need to really dig into the Bible and make sure that we use that as the guide for our lives. And one of the great things that he said, he said, we have to make sure that we focus on the Bible being our rock, being our foundation, being the thing that we really look to for guidance. And we focus heavily on that, but we don't have that same focus that we just simply look at the method in the way we present the Bible. What he said generally, he said, we have to be so focused on the message but not stay strong with the method. And what I mean by that is that a lot of times what happens is when something is good, everybody can probably witness to this, when something is good, the tendency is to kind of keep doing it the same way you've always done it. And what we want to talk about today is like, listen, we're talking about the future church. And the reason why this particular series is important. As a matter of fact, what we feel, this is probably one of the most important series that we have ever done at our church. And as I'm going through this message, you'll realize why I'm saying that, because what we're doing is we're casting a vision to make sure that we are not a one-generation church. Can I get an amen on that? We are not going to be a one-generation church. But the thing that we have to do, we have to focus on the unchangeable truth of the word, but we have to be pliable enough to see what God is doing in different ways that he wants to deliver the word. So as I'm talking today, I just want you to have that mindset because here's the thing. Even in 2013, before that time, there wasn't even something called an iPad. You didn't see preachers up preaching with an iPad or something. They were just kind of using their notes and bringing the big thing out there. And some people are still doing that. But today, what has been introduced is there's all types of different methods that we can take to continue to share the gospel. And what we want to do is we don't want to just go with the trends for the sake of going with trends. 
We want to make sure that we're relevant in culture so that we can affect the culture. Can I say that one more time? We want to make sure that we are relevant in culture so that we can affect the culture. As my wife said, even as she was speaking in that spoken word segment, she said 200 churches are literally closing a week. Let that sink in for a second. While there are other churches being planted and launched at the same time, there are 200 churches at least closing every week. And generally, these are the type of churches who are really holding firm to an old antiquated model, to a denominational tag of sorts, to one way of doing things that are not necessarily open to seeing how God wants to do something fresh. And what I want to do today, if again, you will walk on this journey with me, I want to just cast some vision for us today. I want to cast some vision of what it will look like for here at Victory Midtown for us to walk together into the future with effectiveness and what it looks like for the future church, the big C church to operate and what that's going to take. Is that all right? All right. So we're going to jump into this. And I want to let you know, just even as we're talking about this, this is so key that we focus on what it looks like in the next generation. Because even right now, what's happening at our church, if you are new around here, Victory Church is 30 years old this February. 30 years old this February. That's, that's something to put your hands together for. Because there are churches that don't last one year. There are businesses that don't last one year. So we're thankful for that. And even as we're talking about this today, what's happening while I'm speaking right now, in our Hamilton Mill campus up north, there is this exemplification of this future church handoff happening right there. As many of you know, Pastor Dennis and Pastor Colleen, our founding pastors, they've been pastoring this church again, coming up on 30 years. They're transitioning this year out of the senior pastor role, and Pastor Johnson and Summer from Hamilton Mill will be taking over. And because we are so intentional about making sure that this continues to go and it doesn't stop with one set of leaders, Pastors Johnson and Summer, they're handing off the lead pastor role of Hamilton Mill over to Pastors Randy and Sherry today. So we're literally not just talking about this, we are being about it. Amen? So as we're looking at this generational transfer, I want to give us a scripture that we're going to jump off on. And again, I want to encourage you, as Nathan said, to follow us on version today. Because again, I haven't preached in a couple weeks and I got a lot to say today. And I don't want you guys to get left behind. I'm going to be rolling. But I believe this has already been a good word for me. The first service, uh, we had an incredible time. But today, I believe God has a word for you. So the scripture that I want us to turn to or turn on to on your device is Luke chapter 5. Verse 36 through 39. Now, I'm going to set this up real quick because what happened, Jesus was actually telling what they called a parable. And a parable in layman's terms is kind of like a, a riddle. He wanted to kind of make them think about things. He wanted to invite them into the conversation so that it was applicable when they walked this thing out. And what he said, he said this. He says, no one puts a piece of new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Somebody say new wineskins. Wine and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says... The old is better. Now, really quickly, I just want to kind of invite us into this conversation of the fact that all of us have experienced something, as I said, that was really good for a moment. Some of us have that favorite pair of pants that just fit just right. 
You know you have about 10 pair of pants in your closet, but your go-to is like, I'm just going to go there. I didn't see anybody yesterday when I had these on. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Let's get real. We're going to be real today. All of us have that thing that we kind of just fit into that when we experienced it, it was a good thing. But if we keep it too long, it turns into a negative thing. And what Jesus was saying right here, he was saying, listen, there's a dichotomy of the new and the old. There's a tension between the old and the new. And what I want to do today is I want to bring us into sync, understanding that there's value in the old, but there's also value in looking towards the new. There's very much credence in the old, but if we don't look towards the future with ambition, what we'll do is we'll make ourselves irrelevant. So for the sake of a title today, I want you to know that we're talking today about the future church, the next generation church, the next generation church. And so for context, what was happening in this particular scripture is that Jesus came around during a critical time of culture when some things were changing. There were two particular groups that were very prevalent right here. You had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. Now, to make it very simple, I don't have time to exegete and to go all the way down the line, but to make it very simple, the Jews will say they're like the religious group of people. And the Gentiles, they were like the non-religious group of people. The Jews, they had so much looked for their Messiah, their Savior to come, that they were kind of locking in to certain ways and saying it can only happen this way. They started to get real traditional. They started to kind of say, okay, if you're not doing it this way, you can't be accepted in this particular group. And what was happening is just like today, I believe these scriptures mirror what we're walking through right here in 2020, where there's always an emerging generation who needs the truth of the old, but is going to do it a little different. So when you look at the Gentiles, you had Gentiles, again, they were like the non-religious group. They were the people when they came on the scene, you know, it's 11 o'clock, they may have been in the club this morning at 6, and they just went home and got some coffee and came right in here in the same clothes. That's those people. If that's you, we're glad you're here. <laughs> and what they said was, this was a group that they started to really institute superstitious ideas. They started to get into mythology, and they started to say, okay, I don't know about that old stuff. They started to do things like even Pastor Dennis talked about, where they were even more focused on stuff like pluralism and syncretism, where we're taking all of these different ideas about God and bringing it to ourselves, not using the Bible as a guide. So as we're walking through this, what Jesus was saying, he came and he started to tell them some radical things. Now, it might sound simple to us today, but back then it was radical because they didn't necessarily believe that he was the Savior that he said he was. And what would happen is he would come on the scene saying stuff like, listen, I'm going to die for your sins. Now, I want you all to slow down for a second because I don't believe in running over the scriptures. I want you to make this real. Take your spiritual hat off as if you've heard this a million times. Think about the fact that if I came up to you at Ponzi Market and I said, listen, what's up? I'm going to die for you today. You would be looking at me like, boy, stop. <laughs> like, let me get away from you right now. Let me press the red button that says in case of emergency. I don't know what's wrong with you. Cray, cray. But what we see here is that Jesus was actually disrupting some things. Jesus was coming on the scene to say, listen, I have a message for you that's so radical that if you can receive me as the word in flesh, you'll be able to, one, have eternal life, and you'll be able to not just read about God, but you'll be able to have a relationship with God. Now, that sounds good to us today because we've been a little bit sensitized to it. 
But I want us to understand that he was shifting some things. He was disrupting some things. He wasn't only talking about what would happen after he died for them once they got over that shock. He then started to say, even in this life that we're living, I have something that you can actually experience right here on this earth, not just when you die. Let me give you a few examples of what he said. He said, listen, because you come into covenant with me, you will now learn to start loving your enemies. Somebody said, I don't know if I want that. He said things like, listen, you will be able to start living outside of yourself so that you can actually help other people. That's pretty noble, right? Here's the one that I thought was really good. He said, listen, you can break free of religion and actually break into a powerful relationship with God. And I think that's the thing that kind of started to make people wake up a little bit. But with all these things, what he was really saying in a very practical way, he was saying the ways that you've been operating in the past, the religion that you've been exercising, It's not going to be something that will actually be able to take us into the future move that God has for us. What he was saying is that if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, what you'll find yourselves being is out of date with what I'm doing now. Somebody say now. See, many of you know I work out and I do different things and I'm into fitness. But what I also know is that it is very tempting, as I said even with clothes, it's very tempting to get something that works and then you just stay on that one thing. Let me make this very plain. Y'all know New Year started last week and the gym was packed. You couldn't find a treadmill. You couldn't find an elliptical. The people who were sitting on there too long, you were like, sir, ma'am, can you get up? But what is it going to look like this week? It's already going to fall back. And what you will see sometimes is people will take that opportunity, going in the gym, having a good time. They'll find that one exercise that started to give them that little curve that they won't be looking to see. They'll see that one thing. But what will happen is they will keep doing that exercise over and over and over again. So much so that while they're they're thinking that they're making progress, what they're actually doing is breaking down their muscles to the point of no return. It's a term called microtrauma, when you actually keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Let me say it like this. It's like insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And what Jesus was telling them is like, listen, listen, Linda, don't keep doing the same thing because it's not going to work into the future. And this has been the testimony of the Big C Church. This has been the testimony when things are changing, times are changing, trends are changing. No, we don't want to compromise the word, but how I deliver it to you might need to change a little bit. What this is saying is that grandmama's gospel which used to be just transferred automatically, might not be transformed into little Jeremy or the little Zora anymore. So we have to be the ones who take on that burden to say, I'm not going to do this so much that I leave behind what God really wants to do. What we really need to understand, even as I'm giving this message, I want you to know this because some of the things that I'm going to talk about today, they're not just for the four walls here. These are going to be things that I want you to take home with you. These will be things that you can actually utilize in your business, utilize in your marriage. So when we're talking about this, let's say we're going to do a new thing. Can you say that? We're going to do a new thing. So I want to show you what that actually looks like. How many people in here have actually heard of something called the bell curve? By a show of hands, show of hands. A lot of hands in the room are up. I want to show you how this relates to us as we're walking through this. Because as we're talking about this, I think it's so apropos that we're in 30 years of victory. 
Because what it says, even when you talk about the philosophy of a bell curve, is that every business or even every church has about a 30-year effective lifespan. About a 30-year effective lifespan if you don't take some prior changes to make sure that you're anticipating what needs to shift. So many of you know what this is, but I'm going to show you. A bell curve has a beginning. It has a plateau. And it has a decline. It has a beginning. It has a plateau. And it has a decline. And what we see here, even as we look at it, the beginning says, okay, I want to start right. You know, just like we're talking about New Year's resolutions, a lot of people start the race well. And then we reach that goal. But what happens is that if you're not careful, so many of us reach the goal and we have not readjusted. We have not confused our muscles enough to say, I need to start changing now, even before it's time to change. And what we need to do, whether it's in business, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your personal life, Figuratively, about every seven to eight years, you need to actually shift something, reinvent yourself, and actually start a new bell curve. So what we're doing here is we're talking about future church. We're saying, okay, we're going to now interrupt our regularly scheduled program. We're going to interrupt the way we've been doing it. Because we want to make sure that we are not just sitting here saying all of the things that we've done in the past is going to take us into the future, but we're going to make sure that we're adjusting along the way. Let me make this really real. Some of you in here, let me talk to the married folks for a second, have been cooking the same meal every week for three years. It's time for you to reinvent yourself. Guys, I'm not going to leave you out. Some of you guys in here, you give that same one rose one time a year in February. Women, can I get an amen? Which means we need to make sure that we don't get so stagnant. Yeah, it worked the first time. But you keep coming back with the same thing over and over again, and it's getting stale. What my admonition to us is today is that we don't want to get stale. We don't want to be a church that's stale and that's missing out on the things that God has for us. So listen to this. You might be asking, why does this even matter to me? Why should this matter to me? Why? I'm going to tell you why it matters. Do y'all remember the old song? Some of y'all might be a little too young. But you remember the old song that said, I believe the children are future. Teach them well. Let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Y'all leave me out there by myself. I thought somebody was going to jump in with me. Listen, 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 listen. That song was actually prophetic. Back then, it sounded like a cute song. But what happened is that the children that they were the future, that they were talking about in that song, look around real quick. They're sitting in this room right now. The children that they were prophetically speaking that song about, who were going to be the future, who we need to teach the way and let them lead, they are right here in this room called Victory Midtown. And I want you to know that. I want you to grab it because this is a personal thing. This is not something that we're just doing this as a good idea. We need to make sure that if we don't take onus that the next generation is dependent on us, we will miss the seed that the generation before us gave us so that we can be here today. So our thing is this is a cycle. This is a cyclical thing that we're walking in. So let me make some things contextually clear. When I'm talking about the older and the younger generation in the next few moments, the line of delineation that I want to use today is 35 and under 
and 35 and over. All the 35 and under people in the house, just raise your hand. Wave your hand at me. Wave your hand. All right, I see it. I see it. 35 and over, you got to raise your hand now because you, now you done told on yourself. <laughs> Listen, in case you were wondering, I'm right there kind of in the middle. Yeah. I'm 39. I'll be 40 in September. 40 in September. Come on, somebody. The reason why I brought that up is because I believe it makes it so tangible for us. Because here's the thing, this is not in your notes, but write this scripture down. Proverbs chapter 20, I believe it's verse 29. The Bible says something. This is the Mo International Version. It says, I need the strength of the young man and the wisdom and the gray hair of the old man to bring forth the glory of God. Let me say that one more time. I need the strength of the young man and I need the gray hair and the splendor and the wisdom of the old man to make sure that we bring the glory of God here on earth. And so many times what has happened, as we're talking about what it means to be in church, we have looked at one generation as the ones with all the answers. Either the younger generation have looked at the older generation as obsolete and as they don't know anything, or the older generation has talked down to millennials and Generation Z and things like that. So what we are doing today, we have to make sure that we are capturing the need for everybody. We need everybody, both sides, to walk this thing out. Because the reality is about 200 million of the 330 million Americans are under 30 right now. And if we don't teach this thing, we will be a one-generation church. Let me make this even more clear. They're going to put this on the screen. 26% of Americans now describe themselves as D. What does that mean? That means, no, they don't believe in the God from the Bible. They don't believe in the, in the higher power. They don't believe in the one who has an inner power. 26% of Americans are describing themselves as nuns, as nuns, not a Catholic lady, not a, not a nun, but nuns. They are saying that I might either be an atheist, I might be a Buddhist, I might be a Muslim, or I might not have any type of subscription to, to religion. And what we have to understand is that that is good news on one end because it gives us the opportunity to reach some people. But on the other end, that has actually declined because it actually went up from 17% 10 years ago. So what that means is something is shifting. Another chart that I want them to put on the screen real quick. In the past decade, in the past 10 years, Americans who describe themselves as Christians at the same time has declined by 12% by 12%. These are real numbers. These are real things that actually show the nature and the actual product of our culture right now. So as I said earlier, this means that what we used to be able to take for granted, if you notice, I don't say a lot of times when I'm preaching, you know that story in the Bible, because a lot of times people don't know that story in the Bible. That's why we cast the vision out there and why we want you to get in small groups to actually dig into the word and actually make this real to us. So here's the thing. Like I said earlier, we have to be able to switch it up. Now, tomorrow, tomorrow night, Clemson and LSU are going to play for the national championship. Somebody's excited about that. But here's the interesting part. One of those teams, they're going to need a play at a certain opportune time that they've been working on and that they really want to make sure it works. But what happens is that a lot of times... Certain teams run the same play all year and they have success in it. And then what happens when the stakes are high, when they get into the playoffs, when somebody's now scouted them, now that play is not, no longer effective is because now their opponent has now scouted them out and knows how to adjust. Why am I bringing that up? 
the devil has been scouting us. The devil has been scouting the church. And what happens if we're not keen and aware of some things that need to change, what will happen is we'll keep trying to run the same play that worked yesterday. We'll keep trying to run the play that worked last week, and he'll hit us right upside the head because he's changing, but we're not. So as we're looking at this, I want to give you this scripture to make this really real because this is something that gives us a keen awareness of what God is doing. Go to Isaiah 43, verse 18. This is the message paraphrase. I love this scripture. It says this, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. Can you say that? Be alert and be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. Again, this thing is only saying we have to make sure that we're committing to making sure that we adjust as things are changing so that we can change and be effective as those who are bringing people into the body of Christ. Now, one of our main things here at Victory, we are those who are committed to developing people into disciples of Jesus. And the thing to do that, you have to be able to foresee how things are changing. You have to know what culture is doing so that you can actually affect culture. You can't be this person that's underneath your sheet of prayer and you only stay in your prayer room and you're not talking to anybody that actually needs Jesus. You have to be able to keep your ear to the ground. Somebody says it like this, keep your ears to the streets. To know what we're able to do. Wayne Gretzky, as a matter of fact, his father, Walter Gretzky, he said it like this. We have to skate to where the puck is going, not where it has been. I'm going to say that again. We have to skate to where the puck is going, not where it has been. And what that means is that the things that we did that we knew worked, now we have to be able to say, that was good for then. But God, what do you want me to do for now? So there's a few things that I want to give us before we leave to equip us to walk this thing out. Because there are some cultural changes, some major cultural changes that we need to make sure we are aware of that are taking shape right here today. There are three things. Write this down or follow it in your version notes. Three A's. Access, alienation, and authority. Access, alienation, and authority. When I talk about access, listen, I'm talking about the fact that this is the first generation that has come up where everything that you need to know is right there in the palm of your hand. Some of us, even in this room, we grew up with an iPad by the age of, you know, 15. Let me say it like this. My niece, my five-year-old niece knows how to text me. Yeah. Here's the thing. Right here in this room, because of what the access we have in our hands, you can be sitting here listening to this message for me. None of y'all are doing this. I appreciate that y'all are all leaned in with me. But you can be having a conversation with somebody at another church. You can be actually looking at what's going on in Iran. And you can actually go on Amazon Prime and order some shoes and make sure they're there tomorrow. <laughs> while you're sitting right here in this room. So what we have to know is if all of that access is at our fingertips, how are we going to infiltrate that access for the glory of God? Or are we going to just let everything else kind of go with it and we fall back and we die off? Here's the thing, number two, alienation. The next generation in the coming age, they have had so many people let them down. Trust has been broken by so many people. There has been broken families, fallen leaders, exposed corruption. And what we have to know is that with that, we have to be able to adjust to that. 
So I understand that some of us have may have been hurt by certain people that have led you in the past. So I applaud you that you're actually saying, I'm going to give God another chance. I'm going to show myself worthy of saying, Lord, I need you to show me what you want me to do today. And authority. Emerging generations have read or heard evidence suggesting that even things like the Bible have actually been tampered with. How many people in here by a show of hands, you've heard of the slave Bible? A few people. The slave Bible was something that was published in the 1800s in London. And it was used to actually start to assimilate Africans that wanted to be put into slavery. And what was very unique about this particular Bible, this was a Bible that they actually shifted a little bit so that they can have people serving them. What was happening with that Bible, this was a Bible where certain portions of the Bible was just absolutely taken out. Whole books of the Bible were taken out. They would preach the parts of the Bible that says, love your neighbor, submit to authority, obey your master. But they took out the whole book of Exodus. The whole book of Exodus. Because they didn't want anybody to actually even get an idea of liberation. They didn't want people to get an idea that God is not a God who wants you to be enslaved. He's a God that wants us to walk together and only be enslaved to the bondage of sin no more, but to be freed by the blood of Jesus. So as we're walking through this, I realize that we're fighting through some mentality sometimes. But if we don't talk about it, we won't be able to address it. So as we're walking through this, there are four Ps real quick, not a group, not a singing group. There are four Ps that we've been subject to that have actually really made their authority go the wrong way. They're parents, professors, politicians, and yes, even pastors. Yes, even pastors. Now, I'm not afraid to step into this because I realize that we have to be able to change the narrative. I realize that you're here today. You wouldn't be at church today if you didn't want to see something bigger and better for yourself. And what we are fighting against in the culture at large is so many people that have been disrupted by one of these four Ps that they've been pushed beyond repair. But I'm here saying prophetically that they won't be beyond repair. I'm here saying prophetically that we will be able to speak those things that be not as though they are. I'm speaking here prophetically that we'll be able to grab those people and snatch them out of darkness and bring them into the marvelous light. Do I have any agreement in the house? So the thing is that many of us that should have been guiding people towards love have been responsible for pushing them towards sin. And we have to change the narrative with that and make sure that we're bound by only what the kingdom says. All of these things, what they have done is they have leaded us, led us into this. Write this down, a post-Christian culture. A post-Christian culture. See, what I'm excited about is that we have the opportunity to be the answer in society as God has for us. Even if you were here on Friday, you may have recognized there were three different events going on here in the same building at the same time. There were people doing a filming in one room, a, a music uh, industry thing in the other room. They had spirits in one room, and I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but yet and still, we were able to come into this place and without any kind of shame, lift our hands, raise our voices, praise Jesus, and call the kingdom here on earth. And that's how we need to do. Here at Victory Midtown, we have a unique opportunity to be equipped of how do I live in the presence of things that are outside of the kingdom culture, but I want to make sure that I'm the one affecting the culture and not being subject to it. This post-Christian culture has actually produced very much fragmented things. Let me run through these. Fragmented families. 
fragmented families, most of us in here by either direct or by one line down the line have been affected by either a divorce in our families, somebody being born out of wedlock, somebody being abused. And so we see family different than we've seen it in the past. A lot of times our generation before us, some of those who are 35 and older, you saw family as one way. You saw family as a man and a woman and a child. But today, family in the world's culture is actually quantified a lot of different ways. It could be a man and a man. It can be a woman and a woman raising a child. It can be a single father actually adopting somebody and saying, I want to make sure that this person has the opportunity to live in a new life. But because these things are changing means what? We have to change. And if we don't change, what we'll do again? We will die off. Fragmented careers. The generation before us, they worked like one job for like 40 years. And at the end of that job, they got them a gold watch that wasn't real and said, God bless you, we appreciate you. But many of us in here, by the time you're 25, you probably have worked at least five jobs, at least five different careers. So we have to understand that the times are changing. Fragmented relationships before the older generation, they had one or two good friends that they can count on. Now we are those who have thousands of friends on social, but none of them are close to us. So when we talk about community, when we're talking about leaning in, this is not just a cliche. We're talking about leaning in to what God is creating in the culture that he has for us. And lastly, fragmented faith. Fragmented faith. There is so much uncertainty in the body of Christ and so much uncertainty into the new generation that we have to give them something to believe in again. So as we're walking through this, the big challenge is how does the church this future church, this present church, those children who, who were the future who are now here. How do we take all of those fragmented things and now put us back together for the glory of God? Let me show you how we're going to do that. We have to do this by something that is a business term called the Stockdale Paradox. The Stockdale Paradox. What it says is this. You must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties and at the same time, somebody say at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of the current reality, whatever that reality might be. So again, as I told you, this is not just for the four walls. This is not just for a church sermon. This is for you to understand there might be some facts, but God has the truth. There might be some things that you see in the natural, but God wants us to rise up in the spirit and say, no, 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 that's not the truth. That might be the fact, but I have a truth for you that's far exceeding this. So as we're walking through this, we have to confront by having a new model. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by R. Buckminster Fuller. He was a futurist. He's actually the person who created the structure of a dome. He said it like this, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. So again, some of us in the room, we need a new makeover. Some of us in the room, we need to shift some things. If we're going to be those who carry the banner of Jesus Christ, we have to be able to say, I know I've been even comfortable in my own walk with Christ. And now, God, you're pulling me forward to say there's another level that you want me to walk in. So here are some quick things before we leave today, some characteristics of what the future church looks like and how we bring those fragments together as one. Write this down. Number one, we have to create a culture of humility and love instead of religion and judgment. 
I'm going to say that again because that's good right there. A culture of humility and love instead of religion and judgment. Hear this. One of the biggest detractors, one of the biggest things that people say about not wanting to come to church or get into Christianity is because they've been to church and they've experienced Christians. Let that sit right there for you. One of the biggest reasons why people say, I don't want anything to do with the church is because they've been to church. Some of us have been guilty of being the detractor from someone coming into the kingdom of God. And what we have to understand is that we don't want to be mixed up like the people back in those scriptures that I read, that the religious people are now those ones who are keeping people out of the kingdom. We don't want to be modern-day Pharisees. I want to share something like this for you. Write this down, John chapter 8. It's in your notes. John chapter 8 is somewhat of a familiar passage of scripture. It's when Jesus actually had someone brought to him who was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't understand why they only brought the woman. I thought I would get a bigger, bigger amen from the women in the house. In this story, what it says is that some of the Pharisees, they caught a woman in adultery. Number one, how did they see her? Come on. Number two, when they brought, him to, brought her to Jesus, what they said is that our custom is if we find someone caught in adultery that we stone them to death. And Jesus took a moment. I believe he kind of just stepped back. I like to make the Bible real, real. I think he just kind of took a moment, and the Bible says he kneeled down. I think Jesus kneeled down for a second. He kind of said, let me ponder this for a minute. You're not going to trap me. He kneeled down. He kind of started to write in the sand a little bit. And I believe he was trying to get his thoughts together, and I know he already had revelation from God. And he stood up for a second. He said, listen, I'm going to show you how I'm going to answer this. He said, you that are without sin... Let you be the one who cast the first stone. And then he let them have a nice silent pause for a minute, and he went back down. And I believe what he did when he went back down is he actually started to write in the dust. And I think he kind of had his head up like this a little bit. And he looked around who were, who, who were the accusers. And he looked around and said, okay, Jack, okay, that woman I saw you with last night, that wasn't your wife. I'm going to write that down right here. Jack was out with another woman. I believe he looked up again, and he looked around the room, and he said, hey, Miriam. A lot of people were named Miriam back there. Hey, Miriam, I know you cheated on your taxes too. Miriam cheated on her taxes. And what the Bible says, it says one by one, the older first, the ones who had more history, the ones who had more sin in their lives, the one who also needed a redeemer, the ones who also needed some grace, they started to walk away one by one. So much so that when Jesus, by the time I think he got to that third name, they were like, let me leave before he writes my name down. <laughs> and he stood up and he looked up and he asked the woman, he said, hey, where did everybody go? He said, where are your accusers? And she said, they all left. And what he said is that if they left, if they can't condemn you, I'm not going to condemn you. He didn't stop there, though. He said, now leave and sin no more. See, what Jesus was saying right there, he was saying, listen, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to put you down. What I'm here to do is love you in such a way that because of my love, you will be able to see that I can go away and not do this again. 
And this is very important that we get this because if we're going to be a church that actually impacts, especially midtown Atlanta, we have to take this on as a philosophy that we walk in. Get ready. I'm about to go there. Because here's the thing. A lot of times in this day and age, one of the biggest things that are going to be a deciding factor for how we operate in church and who feels welcome in church is how we actually deal with the LGBTQIA community. Don't get tight on me now. The way that we show them love, the way that we actually embrace them, the way that we say, listen, I know that I don't believe in your lifestyle. I'm someone who actually goes by what the Bible says. But I want you to know that just because I don't believe that you're where you should be does not mean that I'm not going to meet you where you are. Amen. Here's the thing. We're not talking about compromise. What we're saying is that the same grace that the heterosexual gets is the same grace that the homosexual should get. Let me not just stop there. The same grace that we want to give the heterosexual is the same grace that we give the liar. The same grace that we give the cheater. The same grace that we give the drunken. We have to make sure that we're not casting people, giving people the stiff arm for God when he's saying, I need you to embrace them. I need you to come close to them. But here's the thing. We're not compromising. I want to read this because I don't want anybody misquoting me. I want you to hear this. Because if we don't get this, we will totally miss it. Here's the thing. Our goal is not to make homosexuals straight. The goal is to try to help people whose overriding identity is LGBT become people whose overriding identity is D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E. I'm going to let that sing in. It went over some of y'all's head. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again. The goal is not to make the person who's a liar, a stealer, a cheater, the homosexual straight. The goal is to help him who has that overriding identity of whatever the sin is to become people whose overriding identity is a disciple. We have to make sure that we are so focused, more focused on people being a disciple than doing what we feel they should be doing. Because we're telling people, come out of that lifestyle, but we haven't shown them any love. We're telling people, come away from that sin, but we haven't showed them how to walk it out. We're telling people, you're going to hell for that, but what are you going to hell for? It's tight, but it's right. Y'all don't have to help me. I'm going to help myself right now. Because if we don't get this, what will happen is that we, will get, we won't give them the opportunity to replace that identity with a new identity. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be able to show them the love that gives them a true newborn identity in Jesus Christ. Which takes us to the second piece of how we need to make sure we create this culture. And I'm going to kind of just walk through this because we have to grab it. We have to emphasize a kingdom culture over an earthly culture. We have to emphasize a kingdom culture over an earthly culture. What does that look like? That means that we have to stop being like the people who created churches and cliques and things based on one demographic structure, based on one economic structure, based on one color, the black church or the white church. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm making an announcement. I'm not ashamed about it. I'm not a black man first. I'm a kingdom man first. Some of y'all might not agree with that, but I'm, a, I'm not a black man first. I'm a kingdom man first. 
But because before I came into the earth with skin on, God breathed his breath in me and said, let there be. And because I can be, now I can walk with an assurity. Now I can walk with a passion. Y'all, this is good to me. It don't have to be good to you. God said, let there be. He didn't say, let there be a black church. He didn't say, let there be a white church, a Hispanic church. He didn't say, just build a church for the ones who can pay this amount of tithes and offering. He didn't say, let this be a church that's just on this side of the street. He said, I need you to love everybody. Urban Ebonics, everybody. <laughs> but if we don't grab this, what we will do is we will miss out on a whole people that need Jesus. And I want you to write this down. The way we do this is we have to lead in promoting cultural mosaic. Cultural mosaic, which is a mix of ethnic groups, languages, and cultures that coexist within society. Now, when I say cultural mosaic, I'm not talking about a melting pot. Let me make this real clear. A melting pot says you need to assimilate in how I'm going to do it. A melting pot says I, don't, I want your uniqueness just to say I can put it on the census. A melting pot says as long as you kind of don't bring any of your cultural ways around here, it's okay. But a cultural mosaic says I need the uniqueness that you bring. A cultural mosaic says there are people that you can reach that I can't reach. There are things that you know because of your background that I can't do. There's a language, there's a cultural swag that is there that only you can actually be the bait that brings that person into the body of Christ. And I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt, I want all of y'all. I want every single person in here to be this cultural mosaic so that we can show what the kingdom looks like. See, the church hasn't even seen the kingdom. Y'all missed that. The church hasn't even seen the kingdom because so many times the church has been segregated. When God is saying, when will you actually start to give yourself over to somebody else that's different than you? When will you start to appreciate the way they were built up? Because now when all of us walk together, when there's a pulling from the old and the, and the young, when there's a pulling from the person that's black and that's white, when I can sit down and I'm not just doing church with you, but your pictures are actually on my refrigerator, that's when I know you. So we have to grab this if we're going to actually grab the future church. Let me read this scripture to you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Are you all all right out there? Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29, it says this. This is so good, y'all. It says, all of you are God's children because of your faith in Christ Jesus. And when you were baptized, it was as though you had put on Christ in the same way you put on new clothes. Y'all like new clothes? Put on Christ as if you put on new clothes. Faith in Jesus Christ is what makes each of you equal with each other. Whether you are Jew or Greek, slave or free, a man or woman, I'm going to say that one more time. Whether you are Jew or Greek, a slave or free, black or white, a man or woman, young or old, so you now belong to Christ. You are now part of Abraham's family, and you will be given what God has promised. Let me give you a newsflash. People are always talking about equal rights. For this race or that race, the only way, the only time that we're going to operate in equal rights is if we're under the equality of the blood of Jesus. 
The only way that we will really be able to walk in this thing and say we are all equal coming together, that we really will be able to embrace and not give people the side eye when you see a black man and a white man or a white woman and a, white and a black man or a Hispanic and somebody else mixing together. The only time we'll be able to walk that thing out is if we say all of us are coming under the banner of the blood of Jesus. So that's the culture that we have to walk in, which leads me to this last one, and we're going to go home. Number three, we have to have a culture that emphasizes mission over attendance. A culture that emphasizes mission over attendance. See, let me tell you, let me make it real clear. I'm glad that y'all are here at church, but that's not my end-all, be-all. I'm more concerned about impact than I'm really impressed with attendance. I'm more in, important, it's more important to me to have weight than to have numbers. Because if we don't have any weight when we come in here, what will happen is that we'll come in here and we'll get this information and it will stay in a notebook somewhere. We'll get in here, we'll hear the word, and we'll go back and do the same thing. And my question to us is, how many times have you come into church received instruction from God. You heard God speak to you. He gave you a nudge. You wrote something down, and then you kept it right there. Our goal is for when we come into church on Sundays that you get equipped so that you can give out. I'm pouring out like a fountain so that you can take it in and pour it out to somebody else. And what we don't want to do, we don't, want, we don't build buildings because we want to say we had this many churches even when we're talking about Christmas gifts of the world, the whole reason why it's so important is because we want to be able to do more of this. We want to be able to raise more disciples. We want to be able to actually raise more entrepreneurs with the mindset of Christ. We want to be able to actually affect communities that have hundreds of kids. So we have to make sure that we're not just sitting here saying, okay, I came to church on Sunday and that's my Christian duty. Our Christian duty is to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Can somebody say amen to that? So in this, as I wrap this up, we have to have an understanding that we need to own the lostness of this city. That's my thought. That's my vision. That's what I see. I see us owning the lost, uh, lostness of Atlanta, owning the lostness of Midtown. And what that looks like is we can't just have goals like, oh, we just want to reach more people for Jesus. That's good, but we need to be specific. And the way that we are specific here at Victory is through our four pillars. We talk about it all the time, but let me make it very clear. The reason why we need to be strong in this is because we want to build strong families. That's why we have what we have in pre-married life and in married life and in blended life and why when we get a building, we'll be able to bring people more together and actually train what it looks like to rear your children in the things of the Lord. The second one, we want to transform a community. Now, I've had meetings and lunches and coffees with many of you in the room and you said, okay, Pastor Mo, I appreciate it. We are so thankful that now we've gotten stability in our church in the first year. But what next? And I'm going to tell you, we've already partnered with several organizations in the community that we now are going to embody this transforming community pillar. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to be about it. So all of you that are ready to move, somebody say amen in here. All of you that are ready to change this city for the glory of God, say amen in here. All of you that are ready to make sure that we actually eradicate sex trafficking and homelessness, say amen in here. Because it's not just about us coming in here and saying kumbaya and leaving and going to our cars. We need to be the church, not just come to church. Reconciling cultures, you know it. You look around right here. This is what we're about. 
impacting nations. We're, we're doing that. We're sending people all over the world. Last year alone, we gave $6 million to missions, both locally and, and internationally. So as we walk through this, we need to make sure that we grab this and we take hold of what God has given us as an assignment. I want to read this last scripture over you because this is what we need to embody and know that is the mirror that we look at to see if we're being effective. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, and we're going to close. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? I will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What that scripture is saying is if we're not careful, if we don't take this word and not just hear it as a sermon, as a message that we heard on a Sunday, what we're doing is we're laying ourselves down on the ground, asking the world to stomp on us. We're laying ourselves on the ground, wondering why laws and rules and things are being created that are adverse to the kingdom of God. If we don't be the light, if we don't operate as the salt, if we don't take what we're hearing right now and hold each other accountable to say, are you lighting up lights or are you lighting up darkness? We will miss the very opportunity to impact the future generations. Somebody sacrificed for us. We have to sacrifice for now the next generation. So as I said before, we need both the younger and the older generation to come together to be the ones who really show what the glory of God looks like. So what I want to do, I want to, I want to pray over you because I believe we have world changers in this room. I believe we have people who are going to embody these four pillars in this room. So if you would, as we get ready to close, just lift your hands all over the room. You lifting your hands right now and saying, Lord, I might not be fully equipped. I might not know everything. I might have even utilized the wrong judgment of how I treated people who were in sin and a sin that I thought was bigger than mine. You're lifting your hands right now saying, Lord, we want to make sure that we're not a one-generation church. We want to make sure that from generation to generation, your kingdom is established. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you right now for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Father, that you're stirring up the gift on the inside of every person in here. I thank you, God, that the people who walked in here thinking that they were not worthy yet now have received the revelation that they are worthy because they are in Christ. Father, I thank you right now for the entrepreneurs in the room. I thank you for the creatives in the room. I thank you, Father, for the professors in the room, the mothers and the stay-at-home mothers and fathers in the room who are raising a generation that will impact this world. And God, I speak grace to them. I speak strength to them. I speak a supernatural focus on them now. That this time that we are walking in is not just a new thing for a New Year's resolution. But, Father, it will be something that goes deep into our core so that we embody what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We love you, God. 
And we thank you for empowering us and gracing us to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Somebody give God praise in here.